0: Hello, and welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. This time of year can bring lots of joy as well as heartache, both of which could trigger someone who is in recovery for addiction. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Christopher Townsend, He is an assistant professor here at the TTOHSC Department of Clinical Counseling and Mental Health and a licensed counselor for over 20 years providing substance abuse, mental health, and trauma services. Dr. Townsend tells us what those in recovery can do to help them navigate possible triggers and how their friends and family can support them. Dr. Townsend, welcome to our podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do here at the Health Sciences Center?
1: Thanks for having me. I've been a counselor for the past 24 years as an addictions counselor and mental health counselor. And I've been a faculty member at Texas Tech Health Sciences Center for the past five years. I am working in the Department of Clinical Counseling and Mental Health in the Masters of Addictions program. And I'm also the director of the Your Life Behavioral Health and Wellness Clinic that will soon open servicing children in West Texas who are presenting with mental illnesses and substance use disorders.
0: Well, again, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, not only is it the holiday season, it's also that time of year that some people might get the blues, bored, or lonely. How do all these situations separately or combined How could they test someone who is in recovery?
1: The thing that comes to mind, all all these things are are common when you look at boredom, when you look at depression, particularly when the seasons change. We sometimes talk about seasonal depression and and folk may feel lonely or sad during this time, uh, particularly around the holidays, pending their experience with family or the lack of family during this time. So it can be a really happy time, indicating time to party, which could be dangerous, or it could be a really sad time because of losses and experiences with family. And so I think the combination of these things lead to what we call triggers. Loneliness is a trigger, and, or anger, emotions can be triggers. And so one of the things that comes to mind, we use an acronym called HALT. In addictions work oftentimes, it stands for uh, we don't want our people to get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired because these things can compromise one's sobriety or recovery and cause them to become vulnerable in a moment and find themselves using in response to uh, their feelings or the circumstances during the, the season that they're in.
0: How can someone with addiction cope during this time then so that they don't have a relapse?
1: Hopefully, if they have been in any type of treatment services and have come into recovery, more than likely they will have a relapse prevention plan. That relapse prevention plan will detail the greatest high-risk situations for that particular person, and we work that plan through with them for strategies If this happened, then this should be your response or your go-to. Call your sponsor. Tell a family member. Get around people who love you and you love them. So they're... There are interventions or strategies that they can use as they become aware that there's a feeling that I have, there's some thinking that I have. We call it stinking thinking sometimes. And when I recognize those things, as I become aware of those, then I put my plan into action. And so we ask them to keep those things with them. We ask them to keep numbers in their pockets. So if they need to call a sponsor or a family member or someone that is a support to them, that person is readily available to them. To speak to them anytime, day or night, to have those supports in place. So that relapse prevention plan. And if the person has not been in treatment and they they really don't want to relapse and they want support, then I sometimes encourage clients to talk to their family members about their patterns of behavior behavior, what they do, how they sometimes lie to get away from people. What are some of the things that they do? that lead them to using give your family the warning signs and allow them to support you and what that could feel like during the process is that you've been micro bandaged or they're treating you like a child but it's a additional support a layer of support to hopefully prevent one from relapsing
0: how soon is too early to start planning because some people might travel and they may lose their bag they may lose their numbers what what is available to them especially if they're out of town
1: any time you're making plans, I think that's the time to plan also against relapse. And um, so when traveling, you can look, there's support meetings all over the country. Um, and after um, COVID-19, we have more online support services more than ever now. And so there's always even when I go to conferences, um, there's there's support groups for those. Now these are counseling conferences, so we're uh sensitive to it, the needs of those with substance use disorders, but um but there are supports all around that you can call and you can call ahead. There's hotlines that you can call and get locations and numbers and things where these meetings are being held. So there there is support and online as well. So and, and finding these support groups are like shopping for anything else. You you keep attending them until you find one that really meets your needs.
0: How can the rest of us support loved ones who are struggling with sobriety, and how can we avoid triggering someone? You mentioned preparing a plan early on.
1: How, right. how do we do that? You know, sometimes we are so critical and judgmental why don't you just stop? It's easy to stop. Maybe the, you have a moral problem, you're weak, those type of things. That is not the thing you want to say to your loved one who is suffering from an addiction. We know this to be a disease, and this particular disease follows the course like other diseases that we see people experiencing. And so becoming educated about what what addiction is and how it occurs So there are support groups for family members, and there's open groups that family members or or friends can attend to learn more about it. Even in my graduate program, I attended meetings and learned about meetings. And um, there are closed meetings that you can attend, but oftentimes there are open meetings that you're welcome into. And and again, there's so many resources online on addictions and support for family members and friends. So I would seek those out. And and also get a good dose of patience because uh, we know that before a person gets into recovery, there may be many relapses. Sometimes we expect those, it's part of the addiction. But it's not starting all over after uh, a relapse, they start from where they stopped, and we rebuild and we keep. Um, Encouraging them and uh, hopefully create the best environment for them and teach them how to create environments for themselves. So it's to support—it's not to say not hold them accountable, because there's a lot of pain that the person is experiencing with an addiction, but also those people— who have been there and tried to support, there's a lot of pain and potentially trauma that they have also experienced. So we say, when there's a person in your family who's in addiction, the whole family is in addiction.
0: It's not just this time of year when people might drink more. Some might binge and then stop for periods. Is this pattern of binging and then stopping problematic? Does it give us a false sense of control?
1: We consider that to be somewhat of a problem still, that pattern of drinking heavily for periods of time and then stopping. The person with an addiction can sometimes be in the now and play those head games that, look, I can stop. I, I've stopped for two weeks before I have drank again. But the damage and destruction that happens in that period of binging uh, can be pretty significant and quite dangerous, particularly in the college age groups where young people are binging lots of alcohol without realizing. And then if they, to compound that, if they're using marijuana on top of that or any substance, particularly marijuana, generally our body will expel any toxicity of alcohol. But when you use marijuana on top of that, there's a mechanism that turns off that switch of spit this up get this out of the system, it's poisoning your body. That switch is turned off. And so young people don't think about it and they leave their friend kind of in the corner. And, you know, tragedy oftentimes will strike in that way. And so I oftentimes will, you know, teach young people about some of these dangers and risks that are oftentimes minimized. And when we look at young ladies, their bodies metabolize alcohol very differently than young men. And they get intoxicated quicker with less, but you keep pushing that and there's just too much in the system. So binge drinking is absolutely something that an addiction professional would have concern about and would warn against and try and intervene in that pattern.
0: Is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: I I think addiction is something that's misunderstood and people don't have a lot of knowledge about. And I would just like to encourage everyone to become educated about it. And any of us can be an interventionist at any point through care and support. And through getting some education, the number one goal is oftentimes if we can get them help sooner, then less damage is done to the body and the sooner that they can get into recovery and not continue that progressiveness of addiction. And so that would be the goal. Anyone that you think needs help to try and convince them, influence them to get help immediately as soon as possible. And and don't quit badgering them until they get there. When I say badger, supporting and loving them to that point of saying, look, this is what is needed. And sometimes hard decisions have to be made in terms of whether we enable our loved ones or not. And those tough decisions are, do I continue to support them and keep them from experiencing the real consequences of life from their use? Or do I let them go? and experience the real consequences. Those are very difficult decisions when you love someone. And and an example of that might be, you know, a parent might decide their 18, 19-year-old can no longer stay in their home because of their use. Well, then you release them to the street. What does that mean? So these are very difficult decisions. So as a counselor, I never tell a parent to put their child out. But through processes of discussion, it may come to that realization that that person needs to experience life as it is and um you know that idea I would really rather have them drunk at home and I'm saving them somehow by being drinking and being drunk at home is saving them you know that's that that's a difficult place that I have seen a lot of people in so I, I would say to those people continue to support and You have to make that decision for yourself around the quality of your own life and what it means because addiction is an ugly, ugly thing that's very hurtful. So some people get tired, and I understand that place. And then we have to invite other reinforcers or new people to the table who can help.
0: Well, thank you so much for all this information. It was great having you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susanna Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, and me, Melissa Whitfield.